Welcome to the Adult Autism, A Spectrum of Uniqueness podcast, a podcast series for adults on the autism spectrum or those who think they might be autistic. Here's your host, Chris Quarto. Hi there. Welcome and thanks for choosing this podcast to listen to, especially if it's your first time. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to what I have to say, and hopefully you'll learn some valuable information. So, have you been evaluated for autism? Maybe it's been a minute. Like when you were a child, you may have been evaluated, or maybe it's something that you've considered for a long time but just haven't scheduled an appointment for whatever reason. Well, on this podcast episode, I'd like to talk a little bit about how autism spectrum disorder is diagnosed in adults, or at least how I go about doing this with clients and how you can go about getting yourself evaluated if you decide to do so. So what does a psychologist try to do when they evaluate an adult for autism? Well, you know what, that's a great question. And here's the short answer. A good diagnostic evaluation will usually result in an answer to a question. In this case, are you autistic? As part of this process, the um, psychologist will not only figure out if you display characteristics of autism and, and if you do, how they present in your life, but also what makes you unique. You know, it shouldn't just be about identifying problems that you have. A, a good evaluation should also be about discovering your strengths and your positive qualities. All of this information will help provide a well-rounded picture of you. And based on what the psychologist learns about you, they'll come up with a game plan that's uh, specific to you to help you deal with stuff you've been struggling with for all these years. And, you know, that's really what a psychological evaluation is all about in a nutshell. Now, the best psychological evaluations result from information that's obtained from you and anyone who's really familiar with you. For example, a parent might be able to provide historical information as to what you were like when you were growing up. Or if that's not possible, a partner or a close friend might offer insights regarding things they observe you doing currently that might be relevant to a diagnosis of autism. This information can be gathered from these folks in different ways, with your permission, of course, uh, including phone calls, uh, written comments on a, on a history form, and completing an online standardized questionnaire. Other information that can be helpful are school and medical records, work evaluations, that kind of stuff. And of course, Information that you provide about your history and current challenges during a clinical interview and completing standardized questionnaires on yourself, that also figures into the equation. What the psychologist does is take into consideration all the information, mull it over, and determine if a pattern emerges that points to autism spectrum disorder or something else. In a sense, it's a matter of the psychologist taking all the, the puzzle pieces of information, and the more the better, and determining if they 
fit together to create a finished puzzle that shows a picture of autism. Now, as much as interview and test results um, information pr provides important pieces of information for diagnostic purposes, there are only that, pieces or samples of information. It's impossible to learn how a person thinks, feels, and behaves in, in all situations 24-7. And so interview questions and tests are designed to ask about a broad range of situations and characteristics um, with the understanding that, that um, certain situations that are unique to you that could be indicative of autism may not be asked about or, or assessed. It's analogous to not having all the pieces of a puzzle and making a determination of what the whole puzzle looks like based on what information or puzzle pieces the psychologist has available to them. If the psychologist diagnoses you with autism, which is officially referred to as autism spectrum disorder, then don't hesitate to ask them what they base their conclusions on and specifically what particular symptoms and behaviors you told them about in the interview and on the test that they uh, took into consideration. For example, they should tell you something along the lines of, well, of the seven diagnostic criteria for autism spectrum disorder, these are the ones that I see applying to you and this is how. Now, you might be interested in what those seven criteria are. Well, I'm going to tell you that right now. This is how they're listed in the manual that psychologists use to diagnose mental disorders. It's called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. And as I go through these, see if any of these apply to you. So there are two broad categories, social communication and social interaction difficulties and the other one being restricted repetitive, uh, repetitive patterns of behavior, interest, or activities. So in the social communication and social interaction category, you have things like deficits in social-emotional reciprocity, meaning the normal you know, verbal give and take that occurs between people. That's a tall order for autistic folks. There's not much sharing of interest or emotions, that kind of stuff. And secondly, deficits in nonverbal behaviors used for social interaction. So this is where you hear about lack of eye contact, although that doesn't occur among all autistic folks. There, there could be like maybe a lack of facial expressions and other things. And then the third thing in this category Deficits in developing, maintaining, and understanding relationships. So all three of these things have to be present for diagnostic purposes. And then in the second category, restricted repetitive patterns of behavior, interests, or activities, two of the following four things have to be present. The first one being repetitive body movements, repetitive movements of objects, or repetitive speech. And there are lots of things that could apply here. Things like, um, you know, 
flapping your hands, stroking your hair, bouncing your legs up and down, spinning a pen repetitively on a desk, or repeating words or phrases. Like, if I were to ask a person, do you want to go to the football game on Friday? They might respond, football game on Friday. Next, there's wanting things to remain the same, or a need to, uh, to maintain routines, or repetitive patterns of behavior. So maybe a person gets upset if there are changes in how things are normally done. Or like maybe eating the same food every day would be more of a like a regimented routine. Like my autistic son who likes eating Belvedas. They're, they're kind of like graham crackers. He likes having those with peanut butter every morning. Then there's hyper-focusing on specific interest. And it could be a strong attachment to objects. Rocks would be a good example. Or maybe watching, I don't know, giraffe documentaries. And then finally, hyper or hypo reactivity to sensory input, meaning that a person is either not at all sensitive to sensory stuff like bright lights, loud or repetitive sounds, textures of things, or is overly sensitive to them. And people also display fascination with things. Like you've probably heard of autistic kids being, being uh, engrossed with ceiling fans. Now, there's some other things that psychologists take into consideration too, but these are the main ones. Now, for some people, they definitely display features that are characteristic of autism, but not enough of them for a formal diagnosis. And if this were you, then, then don't hesitate to ask the psychologist why that's the case. How did they arrive at that conclusion? Perhaps they think your pattern of symptoms are, are more characteristic of a different problem. or it's possible that you displace several features of autism, but not enough of the criteria to meet a formal diagnosis. And if that's the case, the psychologist might not assign you an official diagnosis, but note that you display characteristics of the disorder. Now, this might not make a big difference from a practical standpoint, though, because some of the recommendations or interventions they would make for someone with autism spectrum disorder could also apply to people who display a um, like a sub-threshold case of ASD. If you're considering getting evaluated for autism, then don't hesitate to reach out to the psychologist and ask them how they go about evaluating people for it. In fact, here are some questions you can ask them, and you can just shoot them an email to ask them these things if you want to. Like, can you explain to me your process for evaluating adults for ASD? Do you take into consideration diagnostic criteria in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual when arriving at your decision? Do you provide practical recommendations as to what clients can do if you do diagnose them with autism? Everything that I've gone over with you assumes that you'll be able to find a psychologist to evaluate you, but 
how do you actually find a psychologist to evaluate you for autism? Well, that's not always the easiest thing to do. At the time of this recording, there are many more psychologists who evaluate children for autism than adults. So a good place to start is to check out the Psychology Today directory. So that's at psychologytoday.com. And enter your city and state. And when you see a list of providers pop up in your area, click on the, um, the Issues button and select Autism. And then go back up and click on the Age button and select Adult. And as you scroll through the list of providers, you'll see many different types. But the one that you'll want to look for is psychologist, because they're usually the ones who have the best training in psychological testing. Now, you can also do a general Google search for psychologists in your area that might prove fruitful, like maybe Google adult autism psychologist near me. Word of mouth is probably the best way of going about it, though. So you can either ask people you know, like your healthcare provider would be a, a good person, or even contact a mental health center in your area to find out who they refer to for these kinds of evaluations. Now, if you're thinking that you might want to get evaluated for autism, then you can get the ball rolling by taking a six-question quiz that I developed to find out how likely it is that you display characteristics of autism. Just click on the link that you see below. It only takes a minute. So to recap this episode, the whole idea of a psychological evaluation is to pinpoint what's going on with a person that's creating problems for them. And if their puzzle pieces are indicative of autism, and what can be done to help them moving forward. And then I also mentioned that psychologists go about this process in different ways, but normally it involves a comprehensive interview, followed by a client completing a series of tests or questionnaires designed to identify features of autism or other problems to rule those out. And finally, you can find a psychologist to conduct an evaluation by searching therapist directories or doing Google searches. Word of mouth, like I mentioned, might even work better. Until next time, this is Chris Quarto, and thanks again for joining me. And remember, your uniqueness is awesome. <laughs>